podcast and I'm your host Lizanne Flynn. Probably one of the most magical and certainly memorable experiences I've had in this lifetime concerning animals was to look directly into the eyes of a captive wolf. I can't really adequately describe the piercing look, the very vibrant nature that was just separated from me by a rather flimsy chain link fence. And to be clear, this particular wolf and these particular wolves that I happened to be in contact with that day and certainly a couple more times uh, since then were wolves that were offered sanctuary. These were wolves that either had been bred by humans as wolf pups and then of course as the the poem by uh, I think it's Ogden Nash goes, the only problem with a cat, a kitten, is that it grows up to be a cat. I think perhaps humans have discovered the very same thing with wolves, and I think I've talked before that that wild aspect that is inherent in all beings on the planet, and I certainly would include humans in that, is one that is quite strong, and I think certainly where animals are concerned it's almost impossible to domesticate out it's it's that strong it's their attachment to the planet herself um, and you might if you have encountered gravity ever <laughs> which all of us has that's kind of what it feels like it's it's a really overpowering and I think to a certain extent empowering energetic relationship that exists between all animals in the wild. And the very first wolf that I happened to meet, as I said, was in a sanctuary. Even just, again, even though we were separated by the chain link fence, this um, this male wolf came down to meet me. I could definitely see the hackle rays because I was not someone that he knew or was familiar with. I could hear the low growl, I could see the head drop, and at the same time there was a very clear looking right straight into my eyes. There was no fear on the part of this wolf. That was the other kind of remarkable thing. There was a knowingness of both of us being apex predators, and certainly I think this particular being in that moment didn't perceive that I offered an immediate threat, but I think it was probably more accurate to say that this was a being who was used to being in the wild and probably unused to having human animals come into his immediate territory that he didn't know. Of course he would be familiar with his caretakers, of course he would be familiar with the other wolves in these really amazing uh, structures that were built into the literal side of a mountain offering 
lots of places for hiding, offering lots of places for camouflage if they didn't want to be seen. Quite frankly, <laughs> you weren't going to see them. So it was a remarkably different setting than what you might see in a zoo or even another sanctuary that was out into the open. And then, of course, there's nothing quite like hearing a group of wolves take up a song together and to hear their voices rise in harmony, to rise in unison, and then dip back down into harmony again. It definitely, I think, serves the purpose much like birdsong does and any other vocalizations that all other creatures do on this planet of, of kind of activating for humans that kind of wild, wild nature that we have in the depths of our own beings and most certainly in our souls. You may have heard from time to time about an effect called tropic cascade, which numerous articles have been written about that was studied up in Yellowstone Park. And the bottom line is that when wolves were reintroduced to the area up in Yellowstone, science really noticed some remarkable things happening. And it was clear that not having the wolves there had caused a different kind of effect on not only all the species there, but certainly on um, the land itself. Because there was an overabundance of elk and other prey animals to the wolves, those beings actually altered the flow of rivers and streams in that area because they were overeating the vegetation that was at the side of those rivers and streams. And because there were more of them, because they weren't serving as prey to the predator wolf, there, was, there wasn't enough vegetation, if you will, to, grow, to go around. And when they were eating so much vegetation, they actually started to erode the sides of the rivers and the streams. That, of course, had an effect on beavers in the area, on otters in the area, on muskrat, on all sorts of other beings. And when wolves were reintroduced to that area, and I think it was the mid-1990s, while the numbers of elk went down, the numbers of beaver and other creatures like that started to return. And vegetation started to become much more plentiful along the banks of the rivers and the streams. And so that also then allowed the rivers and the streams to not overflow their banks as, as often and to kind of stay within the boundaries and within kind of their natural flow. And I love talking about wolves, but you might be wondering why is Lizanne choosing to have the animal called wolf speak for itself <laughs> through her today? It's because there's legislation currently here in the state of Colorado, and it's interesting, there was a ballot initiative that was has been circulating. Over 200,000 signatures were needed, and most definitely, certainly more than that, were, were gotten, and it's now been put on the ballot via the Secretary of State's office here. And at the same time, Colorado lawmakers are trying to reintroduce legislation that kind of would preempt that ballot initiative because, of course, where wolves are concerned, we 
are uncomfortable living with them. I think we've always been uncomfortable living with them, but certainly here in a state in uh, like Colorado, there are also the perception, I guess I am comfortable saying, the needs of the ranchers and farmers to take into effect, which kind of leads me into this area of maybe a macro view of Tropic Cascade because not coincidentally as it would happen there was another article that came across my Facebook feed today and it actually came out of Wisconsin and it was really interesting because there was an article that was written about how we need to teach cows how to be herd animals again and I don't know about for you but that was kind of a light bulb moment for me I'm just like well of course cows know how to be cows ah but perhaps they don't because you see when we herd cows ourselves they lose that ability to as other herds in the wild do in the face of a predator what do they do they put all the adults on the outside they put the young on the inside and they have as many eyes turned outward to face the prey as possible. When humans herd cattle, and I would think to a certain extent sheep, as they are also herd animals, because there's the, the dominance and the influence of human on those particular beings, they kind of forget how to, how to be cow, how to be herd animals. Because we force them to a certain extent, from pasture to pasture and from fenced-in container to fenced-in container, we kind of substitute ourselves to a certain extent as predator. And when they come into contact then with wolf, they're not used to interact interacting with that being as a predator. And so they kind of have lost and have forgotten how to be herd animal out into the wild and how to protect themselves. And I thought that was just a really interesting juxtaposition to the current legislation here in Colorado. The Colorado lawmakers, again, it's politics. Not a big fan of politics these days. <laughs> and it's and it doesn't really matter what side you're on, I have to say. But it was all about how can we how can we make sure that the human element involved in this, i.e., the fa the farmers and the ranchers, there was even talk in this legislation about how to compensate farmers and ranchers for losing quote unquote losing livestock if gray wolves were happened to be reintroduced here into Colorado, and there was something about that that again. We're, we're literally forcing another herd animal and an animal that is naturally prey to a, their natural predator wolf to kind of be not who they are, to not be able to take care of themselves. And if faced with a predator such as a pack of wolves, how they would naturally attempt to defend themselves against, against that particular predator. I'll put links to all these articles on the Buzzsprout website for you all in the podcast notes for you all to take a look into. And it was interesting in this article about teaching how to teach cows to be cows again. They were talking about, yeah, you know, we're doing some projects where when we move cows to a certain area, we kind of let them wait and we kind of let them kind of sit there and we actually look for behavior 
such as cows being at rest, where cows um, lay down, they plop themselves down, they sit, and they start chewing their cud, which is behavior, and I'm sure you've seen articles as well about how science has recently, again, air quotes, discovered that cows, through their vocalizations, talk to each other. And quite honestly, the hubris of humans never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> which brings in another article, another tidbit of news, this is happening over in Britain, where apparently, again, science has recently discovered that aphids, the words in this article, were being farmed, uh, quote-unquote, by ants. Which, again, from my mind, and especially on the heels of my podcast last week about talking about humans put a human wash over everything, our old pal um, anthropomorphism, and... The, what these ants are doing is that these aphids, apparently, that are rarely ever seen, at least by other humans, they actually excrete a sugary substance for the ants, who build then structures for the aphids, and then apparently the ants are seen as taking care of these aphids, getting them into these structures, kind of making sure that they're protected, all in an effort to make sure that these aphids continue giving them the sugary substance that these ants need to survive. And while the human take might be, and certainly this article it came out that the human perspective was that these aphids were being farmed by ants, and I would invite these individuals who wrote this article, I may very well put a comment on their Facebook page, <laughs> that this really just is a matter of nature balancing herself and individual species within nature forming a symbiotic relationship. Hey, you have something that I need and we have something that you need, so let's kind of work together toward this common goal, the common goal basically being survival. And I actually would like to have wolves reintroduced to Colorado simply because, as I had a, a wildlife biologist say to me, you know, there's no truer oxymoron than the two words wildlife management. Wildlife does not need to be managed. Wildlife needs to be understood. Wildlife needs to be communicated with wildlife needs to be invited into the conversations about how we can more peacefully coexist with them on planet Earth. But to be sure, wildlife doesn't need to be managed. I'm Lizanne Flynn. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.